Hello and welcome to Stuck for Ideas, a podcast by Alice Wordsworth and Erin Blackmore. The impetus for this podcast came out of quarantine. With the theatre industry in crisis, our self-sufficiency, creativity and imaginative drive were put to the test. And we have found ourselves looking more than ever to others for inspiration. This podcast is about where we and guests go when we're stuck for ideas. What are you going to inspire me with this week? So it's a slight cheat inspiration this week because I haven't finished it. But Oh no, we're both going to do that then. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that's cheating. It's okay because I feel like it's blown my mind within the first well, I actually can't tell you how many pages because I'm actually listening to it on audiobook. But my inspiration this week is called Breath: The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor, which was released this year. And it's basically about, it says, there is nothing more essential to our health and well-being than breathing. Take air in, let it out, repeat 25,000 times a day. Yet, as a species, humans have lost the ability to breathe correctly with grave consequences. And just a prelude, prelude to this is what's crazy is that just before I was introduced to this book, I happened to meet a sleep psychiatrist he basically told me that I'm likely to develop, to develop sleep apnea later in life because I snore, have an overbite and apparently a very small chin, which, by the <laughs> way, was not something I was previously self-conscious about. But thank you, Anne. Anyway, so I've been listening to James Nestor's book Breath on Audio Guide, as I said, and the studies that he details are honestly mind blowing. Kind of in short, we should all be training ourselves to breathe through our nose at all times. And so the book begins with a study that he undertook whereby his nose was blocked with literal plugs for about 10 days so he could only breathe through his mouth. And the results were insane in that his health seriously declined and, it, and the pace at which it readjusts once you go back to being able to breathe through your mouth are also just really shocking. So breathing through your mouth in a matter of days changes the shape of your airway airways um and apparently as indigenous people humans never had these problems because our jaw and therefore our airways were much larger um and he also he kind of talks about evolution meaning change and that it doesn't always mean for the better which i think is something that often gets lost along the way um like there have been studies conducted on rats that show that mouth breathing reduced the amount of brain cells produced Apparently different sects of people basically have known this for centuries and nose breathing has been identified as being better by a physician in like the 1500s. He even had someone, I think, literally approach him on the street when he had these nose um, plugs in saying, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. Like growing up in Mexico in classrooms, you'd get hit on the back of the head at school if you were caught breathing through your mouth. Um, so it's just insane. I mean, and... There are so many different elements to this. Like there are studies where athletes, their performance improves drastically if they breathe through their nose. Um, but there are also loads of exercises on um, James Nestor's website which help combat the symptoms and train us to nose breathe to the point where my mum and I have been talking about taping up our mouth when we go to sleep at night to train yourself slash force yourself to breathe through your nose. <laughs> I feel like... Since you have started talking about this, all I can do is think about my nose and have 
I how have you been thinking about anything else? I feel my breath feels really constricted now. No, it's so weird because I think when you do start to unpick something that's so subconscious, you're right. You're suddenly you suddenly sort of panic about it. But I've been trying even as I walk places to overtly breathe through my nose because I attempted that running and that resulted in serious panic and panting. <laughs> so I've got to build up to that one. <laughs> Wow, I feel like you've revolutionised my way of breathing. Honestly, about breathing. Read this, get this book. It's fascinating. So much for More that. of the story is breathe your nose and what's yours this week? I feel like I might be about to suggest something like friends to everybody. I think it's really friends-esque and I'm really worried that I'm totally behind the trend here. But it has been my total delight for the last week and I still have two episodes to go but it's bringing me so much joy and giggles I couldn't resist sharing and that is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Crashing which I'm yes are you making good noises okay making great noises I loved it and I'm watching it on Netflix but it originally was written for Channel 4 in 2016 and it's a six-part comedy series which Waller-Bridge wrote and stars in and it manages to just be hilarious and sharply moving all at the same time and it involves and follows the lives of six 20 something year olds living in a disused hospital as a property as property guardians and it's bursting with sad and self-conscious people awkwardly grappling for connection in the big expensive city that is London and I just think it's a realistic well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this interview actually said it's a realistic portrayal of the depressing London real estate market. And as part of her research for crashing, she talked to several property guardians. And in this interview in 2016, which is when it originally aired on Channel 4, um, she said the problem is so, so bad. The government has just changed the definition of affordable housing to properties up to 450,000 and that's 17 times the average salary instead of building more affordable houses they're just rebranding more houses as affordable people on lower incomes just can't afford to buy in the capital anymore that's so interesting though because on the one hand I in kind of true Phoebe Waller-Bridge style it made me fascinated by guardianships and actually want to live in one because you get to live in these amazing disused buildings that were originally like hospitals and things like that which is so cool but I do also think it's so I mean depressing that it was 2016 when these things were happening but it does feel like a really apt comparison to now when I think especially with COVID we are hyper aware of the socio-economic divide especially with housing when we've spent you know, the past six months in our houses. And I think the people who've got wonderful spaces to be in have been extra lucky. And the ones who don't are really, have really been hard done by because of that. To the point where I think a lot of offices were kind of pushing their CEOs to spend a day working in their kind of poorest household, essentially, and be like, would you be happy working here for all this time? And if not, you need to change that. And I think she in this research and in the extended interview she mentioned um when speaking to the property guardians how few rights they have in terms of management of the building and if the hot water goes it can go for months on end and just the harsh reality of that which she frames so 
brilliantly in her writing the the contradiction of setting and um what do I mean the contradiction of the setting and the humor and the people in it just felt like something I hadn't seen on tv before and it came out I didn't realize that it premiered in 2016 with Fleabag and and Crashing came out in the same year but oh, they came out together yeah get anywhere near as good reviews I don't think but I mean it's so funny and there is the most priceless priceless which you still haven't got to but there's a jumpsuit scene which where she needs to go to the loo when she's wearing a jumpsuit and you're really desperate and literally every girl ever will associate with that because we've all been there (laughs) today we are welcoming Flora Beverly, who is a fitness model, blogger and social media consultant based in London. She's recently completed challenges like the Tokyo Marathon, a boxing match and the Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge. She also creates food and fitness content for her Instagram and blog and YouTube. And she's a passionate advocate for sustainability and mental health, using her background in biology to myth bust. Welcome, Flora. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Very Flora, excited. We start every podcast with some quick fire questions that we're going to fire at you now. I'm very nervous. Erin, <laughs> take it away. Trainers or Birkenstocks? Trainers. Bath or shower? Shower. Curry or pizza? Curry. Fast or slow? Fast. Flower or tree? Tree in or out out I'm so pleased with that (laughs) they see you can't prep those ones I feel like if we'd emailed those to you you would have sat and thought about it and we wouldn't have got your you are definitely right yeah (laughs) so Flora talk to us about how you got into the world of fitness and well-being so it kind of started by accident I feel like a lot of people I actually got into you know training and going to the gym for all the wrong reasons you know I was at school at the time and all the kind of popular kids tended to be kind of very skinny and it seemed to be a thing where that you know there's a lot of pressure on young girls and women to look a certain way and I have always been really active I've not necessarily been into fitness per se like I did a lot of gymnastics when I was younger so I've always had really kind of muscly physique um And that wasn't really cool, you know, when I first went to my secondary school, everyone was quite like very thin and there was Kate Moss on the front pages, you know, heroin chic sort of style. So I got into fitness and a way to try and lose weight. Um, And when that didn't happen, I just kept going and I was like, why am I still, why am I still going to the gym if, you know, I'm not actually losing any weight? And I realized actually it was because it was kind of where I felt the happiest and most relaxed and with Uh, all the pressures of school and all that kind of stuff actually it was the one place that I had for myself and yeah I think it was just really good for my mental health and um, kind of took off from there amazing I feel like that's such an it's so refreshing to hear such an honest response to that because I think we're all so susceptible to kind of the pressures of social media and everything to get us going there do you feel like you now when you're even when you're not training for a specific event do you feel like you have a kind of day-to-day or weekly fitness regime that you keep up yeah definitely I mean I would say that fitness is like one of the main things that keeps me feeling a bit sane 
um especially over lockdown you know there wasn't i mean everyone struggled we didn't have anything on and i like to keep really busy in general but being able to run was the main thing that kept me really balanced and happy and um, healthy as well so yeah definitely like i spent a lot of my time not training for anything at all especially when i took up running i was too scared to enter any races or anything so i just took it up purely for myself and because i really enjoyed it and um yeah i don't have to be training for something to keep it up definitely although my training regime i would say is pretty lax um when i'm not actually training for anything but i don't mind you know i do it for happiness so um i don't actually feel like i need to be hitting any distances per week or whatever I think I was one of those people, Flora, that discovered running through lockdown. And I'm now, now we're allowed out of the house for more than just exercise. I think it was as soon as the government told me I was allowed to only do this one thing every day. I was like, okay, Boris is motivating me for once for the first time ever. I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen to this man and uh, I'm going to do my one bit of exercise every day. And now I don't have anyone telling me to do that or I'm allowed out the house to go and I don't know, buy cake instead, I'm finding it really difficult to keep up that motivation. And you write some really brilliant stuff about how you stay motivated with it. I wondered if you could talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people rely on motivation for for keeping fit. And I think that's probably a slightly dangerous road to go down, purely because you're not going to be motivated all the time. And that's just something you have to accept um, as an athlete or as someone who wants to keep fit. Part Motivation gets you a long way for sure, but discipline gets you the rest of the way. Um, and because of that, I think having a training plan can be really useful. Um, if you rely on only running at the, you know, on the days that you want to run, there's a good chance you'll never actually get out the door because whilst you actually love running once you're out there, Kicking yourself out the door, I mean, I'm exactly the same. Kicking yourself out the door is quite difficult at, from time to time, especially if you're, you know, watching something or, you know, very comfortable doing some work and you've got really into it. It can be really hard to kind of motivate yourself. But if you know that you have to go for a run on that day, then it's sort of, it's a non-negotiable. You just kick yourself out the door. Um, but having said that, I try to preach a more kind of balanced approach to fitness. And I think, Reducing pressure can be one of the best ways of um, maintaining a fitness plan because if you are going out and putting a lot of pressure on yourself to run a certain distance or for a certain time or a certain speed, you almost sort of dread it because you think, actually, what if I can't get that? I know that I'm exactly the same as this. I've not been running for a huge amount of time, maybe like two years seriously, you know, three years total. and it, when I have a lot of pressure on myself to run a certain um, speed, then actually sometimes I just don't want to leave the house. <laughs> um, so I tend to say to myself, you know what, I'm just going to go out the door and I'm going to get to the end of the road. And if I hit the end of the road and I still really don't want to go out, I can go back home and I can go to bed or do whatever I want to do. And the amount of times that that's happened is precisely once. Um, and I just overtrained. So I went back home and I went to bed. But most of the time, once I'm at the end of the road, I'm absolutely fine. And actually, I'm really happy to be out. And I think that's quite a good um, thing to remember is that your body does like moving. Like We are made to move every day. It can just be the kind of mental battle of getting out the door. And once you're out, you're absolutely fine. A couple more, um, sorry, just very quickly, a couple more tips on um, motivation is, is to remember um, that 
there's a running community for a reason. Um, a lot of people want to find other people who also enjoy running um, to kind of motivate. And I have to say, social media has been really invaluable for me um, in, in that regard. And I hope that I provide some motivation for other people as well. But getting out of the door um, because you know that your friends have done it or because you're going to meet someone and probably more likely in this day and age just because you, you follow people who are, are motivational online. Um, it can be really valuable. So if you can get some sort of running community, whether that's a friend or a run club or something simply on Strava, um, that's another great way of keeping motivated. And as people are starting to return to the office and things, Flora, have you got uh, some tips about balancing full-time work schedules alongside fitness? Yeah, so while I work from home now, I used to work um, in the office, full-time job, nine to five, of 8 30 start at 8 30 in the morning um and it can be really difficult to get in enough movement day to day and one of the things that i always tell people is that it's not necessarily about the amount of training sessions you do it's literally just about moving and trying to avoid being sedentary for a really long time um and i know that i was really lucky i could walk to work took 45 minutes um and that was sort of my movement to start the day because Quite often, a lot of people um, obviously take the tube to work. And as we come up towards winter, the light is not there in the morning. So you, you leave and it's dark and you get on the tube and it's dark. You get out of the other end, it's still dark. And by the time you've got to the office with its fluorescent lighting, you haven't had any natural light for that day. And that can really wreak havoc on our um, circadian rhythms and our, our natural sort of bodily cycles. And... Um, I think it's really important to try and get out in the mornings to get some natural light or at least um, get out at lunchtime so that your body actually knows that it is daytime. You're not sort of some, some nighttime hermit. Um, so I, yeah, I always say if you can walk or exercise or run, whatever it is in the morning, um, that's probably the best time to do it. But a lot of people don't enjoy mornings and I would probably include myself in that category. So getting out at lunchtime is a really good thing, um, whether that's just for a walk or a quick run, even just 20 minutes can give your brain a big break. Um, it boosts productivity in the afternoon. It also makes you happier. And of course, getting out into nature has all the mental health benefits that that has. So it's sort of a double whammy of exercise and nature. In London, it can be really difficult, um, but just trying to get something either in the morning, lunchtime or in the evening can be very, very beneficial. Um, this is a bit of a rogue suggestion, but when I worked in the office, I drank a lot of tea and it meant that I was always needing the loo. And it just meant that I was never going to be sitting down for a long period of time because I always had to get up and go to the loo. <laughs> and it, like I say, it's a really strange suggestion, but it actually stops you sitting down for a really long period of time. And it also means that you're constantly getting up to refill your tea, um, which might be the most British <laughs> thing I've ever said. I'm really sorry. But um, it does mean that you're not sitting down for long periods of time. And I think that's one of the sort of fitness killers. Um, and then just the last thing is find time to work out, even if it's just a low intensity class, um, just three times a week, half an hour um, at any point during the day that you can fit in is really beneficial. And if you've had a stressful day, don't don't worry about trying to fit in some high intensity interval training or, you know, really intense run. Just do something that makes your mind happy and it will make your body happy too. So that can be yoga, it can be Pilates, it can be just, you know, a long walk or a very slow jog or a quick cycle. Anything that you, you think will make you happy is a really good to take a break from work and get your body moving. 
No one has ever told me to put tea in my fitness regime before. I think that's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's got to fit in with mine because I drink so much tea. And you wrote recently that not every run has to be your best run. And I found that so reassuring to hear. And you write a lot about um, just letting yourself run and forget all the, I should do this, I should do that. And it just made me think about the rise in Strava accounts and fitness watches that I think lockdown triggered. Do you always train and track yourself? Or do you think that this sort of constant competition we apply to each area of our lives is perhaps coming a bit damaging to fitness routines? I definitely think that for some people it can ruin the, the enjoyment of training. Um, and I think you've got to take it on a case by case basis. I really enjoy stats and I love looking at, you know, my split times and I don't necessarily place too much pressure on myself to get certain split times. I tend to do it by effort. So if I'm feeling really tired one day, then I might take it a little bit easier. Um, or, you know, I'll push myself, but the speed won't be as fast as the day that I'm feeling really good. And I don't tend to mind about that so much you know I'm not at the sort of level where I'm going to be competing nationally or whatever or internationally there's there's no way that I'm ever going to get to that sort of level so I just kind of think that I might as well enjoy every session that I do or at least the majority of sessions that I do um, and I think you just have to think like do you have quite an obsessive personality do you think that actually getting a fitness watch will help you or lead you down a route that means that you might not get as much enjoyment from the training sessions as you could. And then just decide on based on that, like whether you actually want to go down that route, because we're made to move, we're made to run um, as a species. And I think you can get as much enjoyment, if not more from not tracking it as you can from tracking it. But personally, I really like Strava. I really enjoy following my friends' um, progress and seeing what they do. Um, and that really motivates me to get out the door. So, I, it, you know, it's just totally dependent on the type of person you are and where you are in your fitness journey. I'm really interested that you come at it kind of, you've got the scientific background of biology to kind of really engage with all this. And I loved the um, research you'd done on how the menstrual cycle affects your training and kind of fitness goals. I wondered if you could talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, so I do come from a biology background. Um, we didn't actually cover much human biology in my degree, but it has meant that I take a lot of pleasure from reading scientific papers and new research that's out there. And I used to work for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in their media and um, PR offices which means that I spend a lot of my time reading about women's health um, and all of this kind of stuff. And I find it absolutely fascinating, especially as, you know, obviously applying for myself a lot. And I think we need to break the stigma around this. It's, you know, a totally natural part of our biology. And yet people are so um, scared often to even talk about these sorts of things. Um, and I'm trying to break that a little bit. I'm not going to go into um, you know many details here simply because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a medical professional and I don't want to give anyone the impression that I am um, so I've got to put a little disclaimer in there um, but essentially yeah our performance can be affected by um, our natural hormones as they kind of change throughout our cycle and the cycle varies on average it's 28 days um, for women but it can vary quite a lot so yours might be 26 days it might be 31 um, and that means that some days you'll need more rest, some days you'll need more food, and other days you'll feel totally unstoppable. And that might be to do with your hormone cycles. And I think it's just important to have some sort of awareness of how you feel 
and understand that your body probably knows best. So if you are feeling totally wiped out, you probably shouldn't do that intense training session that you had planned. And then you should actually just kind of listen to your body and maybe switch around your sessions. So a session that um, you had that was really tough that coincides with the day that you're feeling really tired and fatigued, you could switch with your easy run day or even your rest day. And keeping track of that month on month can help explain, if not excuse, poor performances in races and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's also worth remembering that exercise can reduce PMS. So if you do struggle with cramps or low mood or, or whatever, um, low intensity, low impact exercises can be really beneficial for many women um, getting rid of those symptoms. I'm one of those. I don't like to go for intense runs when you know I'm feeling really hormonal, but actually um, a kind of slow, steady run in nature both lifts my mood and also totally gets rid of cramps because it has painkilling effects. Um, but for other people, they are totally bed bound. And I think it's just um, you've got to remember that your cycle is is unique and it, it just varies from person to person. Just be kind to yourself. And last thing, um, if you are struggling, if you're finding it affects your daily routine and, and you can't actually complete daily tasks every single month, please do go and seek help. Um, unfortunately, there's a kind of lack of understanding that it's not normal to be bed bound for three days a month. And, and if you're, if you're suffering from that, you should go and see someone and try and see an endocrinologist or a gynecologist. And there are some great people on social media as well, who can provide not advice, but a lot of information around this, um, such as Renee McGregor, um, Georgie Brunvels and Stacey Sims. They're all amazing people to follow for this kind of stuff. And they, they are all also medically trained, so they can probably provide better information than I can. Oh, thank you. We'll put a link to those in the show notes. That's so useful. And while we're on the biology side of it all as well, drinking and fitness, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm kind of one for moderation, like everything in moderation, including moderation. Um, I, <laughs> I, I do drink alcohol. I've actually found that as I've got older, I've, I, I like it less and less, or I like it just as much, but I don't feel the need to drink it as much. Um, I've written a blog post on it or a couple of blog posts on it because I actually find quite a lot of joy in having non-alcoholic spirits now. Um, and it's something, you know, they're quite expensive, annoyingly expensive. So I, I never would have considered it. I'm like, if it's not alcohol, what's the point? But more and more now I'm, you know, drinking for enjoyment. And at the point that it stopped being enjoyable, I stopped drinking. Um, so yeah, it, it can have impacts on your fitness goals. And for a lot of people, they can't, you know, they can't do any sort of training for two days afterwards. And for me, that doesn't make me happy. So it's not something that I'm likely to do very frequently. But, you know, from time to time, <laughs> I may well do. You know, someone's wedding might end up pretty, pretty fun. Um, but yeah, everything in moderation, including moderation, is kind of my motto. That's a good motto. And when did you set up your Instagram account, Flora? I feel like, how, yeah, how long have you been running that for? Oh my God, it must be nearly nine years now. Nine um, years. It's been a really long time. Yeah, so I set it up at school um, actually while I was recovering from an eating disorder um, and it was a recovery account initially um, and as a way of tracking my food and showing my doctor and ensuring that I was eating enough. Um, but it kind of, it, it changed quite a lot as my mental health changed. And it's always been, um, you know, I've always been an advocate for mental health, but it's kind of become part of everything else I do, not sort of the main thing that I do. 
Um, and the fitness stuff took off when I started playing squash. And I'd always sort of assumed that I was really bad at sports because I'd only ever tried team sports. And it turns out I'm really bad at team sports, but quite good at individual sports. <laughs> and um, that's one thing that I always say to people is like, if you think you're really not into fitness and you're not built for sports, it's probably just because you haven't found the right one yet. Um, and so I always say like, it doesn't really matter what you're doing so long as you're enjoying it. Um, and for me, that was squash and that was sort of my gateway sport into everything else that I've done since then. And now that your Instagram account has hundreds of thousands of followers, who do you, what do you think your demographic of followers is and who do you hope to influence with your content? Um, it's primarily women. It's about 75% women um, between the ages of 25 and 34, um, according to my Instagram. <laughs> but I, I honestly think that it's kind of for everyone. I don't preach you know, fitness for aesthetics. It's not really my vibe. I think the aesthetic benefits might come along if you enjoy the, the sports you're doing and with consistency, but it's definitely not my primary reason. So I think that's really applicable to everyone, especially young women and girls, but, but really to everyone because, you know, men can suffer from those pressures as well. And I think um, I try to focus on enjoying fitness for the mental health benefits and and for everything else and the community that it provides and that's really applicable to everybody so I have quite a widespread of followers I think. And you're also part of the W model agency which they say that they're committed to represent models who are healthy toned and talented and how have you found that environment? Yeah it's really good I've been with them for nearly four years now and when I first started, there was not really a um, there was not really a kind of market for people who a were kind of short and b were into fitness. Like if you had muscles, generally you were seen as kind of quite manly or too big. One of my first ever castings, I was turned away because I was too muscly, and it was for I mean it, it was for weights. <laughs> it was literally for lifting weights. And oh my I, god! I, I don't know who they chose in the end, but I would assume some a fashion model or something. And I think now there's been a lot uh, of backlash against that, and people actually want to see people who understand the sport that they're promoting. So if it is for weights, they'll get people who actually lift weights, and if it's for running, they'll get people who run. And I think that's very important, um, also for showing some diversity because you know, if you run, you're a runner, you don't have to look a certain way. And that's something that I think the modeling industry has got wrong in the past. But W is great because they actually focus on personality and skills, um, as opposed to just just what you look like. And I guess that ties in as well to kind of as a sort of food and fitness influencer, social media must play a huge role in that kind of because it's your platform to help get your message and sort of ethos across but also I feel like we're increasingly aware of the impact that social media has on our body image and in the way that it puts us in kind of comparison with each other all the time and how I mean it's something you've touched on a bit already but how does that responsibility feel for you and has that ever felt like quite an enormous weight to take on? Yes and no I mean it's impossible to take all responsibility for the issues that, you know, advertising and all that have placed on us. Um, but at the same time, I do think that I'm responsible for the message that I, and that's something that I've been quite careful to curate over the years. Um, there's a lot of 
things that you can say off the cuff that actually can be quite harmful to people. And that is something that as my following has grown, I've had to become much more careful about. Um, and that is a lot of pressure. But at the same time, I think it is pressure that I can shoulder um, and that I think it is important to shoulder as someone with, with a little bit of influence. Um, but yeah, I just think I just think that we should follow people who make us happy and who inspire us and and in that way you know you're you're kind of voting with your follow you know the people who are inspiring and um interesting and who have positive messages are the people who get the most followers and then the people who actually could be quite harmful or detrimental to people's mental health end up you know not not having such an impact and such a following and that's a bit of an idealistic view but I like to think that we can kind of curate our feeds and that actually can help you as an individual um, feel better about your use of social media. And of course, not spending too much time on it overall. I think that's really important. Is this something you talk about in your social media consultancy work, Flora? And um, what does that role entail? It's something I hadn't heard of before. Yeah, so um, the consultancy is more about growing um, your own brand using social media. And one of the great things about social media is that it's free. Um, and traditional advertising is obviously really expensive. Um, and for a lot of brands, social media has meant that they've been able to compete with really big brands. I mean, if you look at Gymshark, for example, they came out of the blue, they came out of nowhere. And that's simply because they had a really good social media following and a great community. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of their clothes, but they really have done a great job when it comes to using social media to promote their brand. And that's the sort of thing that my consultancy um, aims to do as well. And prior to lockdown, I did face-to-face -face meetings um, in consultancy over six weeks. But at the beginning of lockdown, I just thought, I can't do face-to-face -face meetings. I can't see people um, and do this consultancy. And, and you know, I'd lost all my work. There was no writing jobs. There was no collaborations. I'd lost kind of everything to do with my job at the beginning, except for consultancy. So I thought I'll condense all of the stuff that I teach people into a PDF um, and do it at a fraction of the price. And that's essentially what I did. I, I created a generalized, not specialized, but a kind of generalized guide of how to build a brand using social media. And then I, I just put that out there for 35 pounds as opposed to what it would usually cost for kind of one-to-one -one, um, education and um, that was really popular and it means also that brands um, who obviously were struggling a lot throughout lockdown could really focus on their social media um, so that as we you know open up again and as we kind of go back towards normal they can really hit the ground running with a really strong social media feed um, and yeah hopefully that will help their brand as a whole. Oh, Flora, I think we need to start saving Erin to buy this document. I think it, it's also nice because I get to support brands that I think are doing good things. Like um, a lot of startups can't afford consultancy and they can't afford traditional advertising, but they can afford to spend some time on their own social media. And that was kind of what I was trying to, that's the sort of person I was trying to help. And I sent it to some charities as well, obviously for free, um, because you know, I think they're doing amazing things and I just kind of want to support their, their social media <clears throat> um, because that is incredibly important when it comes to engaging young people in what they do. You know, having a website's all well and good, but not, no one's going to go and read your website if they're under the age of 30, really. So they're just going to come and find you on Instagram. And if your Instagram is lacking, you know, 
it's not it's not ideal so yeah no really really brilliant idea and again another amazing thing I've heard a creative make out of a situation and a pandemic that has left us all so high and dry so thank you for sharing that um shall we jump to food so sure. you're you have a plant-based diet is that right Flora yeah yeah I eat plant-based and you've got some amazing I will point everyone in the direction of your banana bread that Georgie has actually made for me and I have said I will reciprocate and make it for her um but what food most excites you if you were to host a dinner party what would be on your menu well, back to the banana bread briefly. <laughs> it has been a lockdown special. Um, it's had over 9,000 views. No Most of which have been in the, in the months of lockdown. Honestly, it was actually insane. I was suddenly like, I'm writing all these great articles about sustainability, but what do people want to read? My banana bread recipe. <laughs> <laughs> which is all well and good. I wish people would send it to post me because I can't be bothered to make it, but it is probably my best recipe yet and um, features quite heavily in uh, my kitchen, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> is there a secret ingredient in it that makes it no, extra the special? It, the great thing about it is that it's like so basic. This is one thing on a side note that I want to do with my recipes on my blog. Like a lot of health food blogs have like cream of tartar or loads of coconut oil or this really you know, hard to find type of coconut sugar and I didn't really want to do recipes with ingredients that you couldn't find at your local Tesco. So most of the recipes are just with standard normal ingredients that you can find in your cupboards at home. I'm also really lazy, so I don't want to have to go shopping when I want cake. If I want to make a cake, I want cake now. Um, so I don't want to have to go shopping to do that. And um, yeah, it's, it's fairly simple and it literally can't go wrong. Like even if, even if it, the density is slightly wrong, it's still delicious. So I can... I can challenge you to make it. <laughs> yes, challenge 100% accepted. So would, so, that, would that be your pudding, do you reckon? Well, it's a good question. So the main course would probably be something like I made last night, which was a, a Thai satay stir fry. Um, it's got like six different types of vegetables in it. It's got soba noodles. It is absolutely delicious um, and so easy to make. Stir fry is one of my favorite meals and it's so quick. Um, or maybe something like miso aubergine I think aubergine is is really good if like if you've got meat eaters around aubergine has some density to it so it's actually got some texture and stuff which I think is something that people who aren't vegan or aren't vegetarian can sometimes be sad about when they eat vegan or vegetarian foods um, and I'm a big fan of East Asian flavors and I think the plant-based diet lends itself really well to them. So it would probably be something like that for main course. And then for dessert might be something like poached pear cake or apple crumble or something, apple and rhubarb with apples from the garden. Um, I kind of like to cook, like I just said, using all the ingredients that I have at home. So it might be a bit of a random mix of flavors in my, in my, um, quite questionable dinner party meal but um hopefully it all tastes good so that's what really matters <laughs> you also write for eco age which is a sustainability and communications consultancy and do you feel like that feeds into your plant-based diet or has what did one kind of come before the other that really led you to 
engage with sustainability? So I studied biology at uni and that kind of, while I've always been interested in nature and sustainability and, you know, the environment, I feel like my degree gave me a bit more um, grounding in that. And I only went plant-based after studying marine biology. I've been pescatarian since I was four years old. I just don't enjoy meat at all. Um, But I gave up fish after studying marine biology. And I just thought I wanted to use the information that I'd learned to, um, to kind of feed into my diet, so to speak. And that meant for me um, giving up fish because I didn't feel like I could eat it sustainably with all the information that I'd learned through my degree. Um, so yes, I would say it, they kind of feed into each other really. I've always been interested in nature and sustainability and I've never eaten meat really. Um, but also having the official education has kind of furthered that that interest in sustainability and um, conservation all that kind of stuff. And what is it, how would you describe EcoAge to someone who hadn't heard of them before? Um, I kind of describe them as, uh, well, they provide sustainable brands with um, advice and PR help. Um, and they kind of, they, they work with a lot of fashion brands. That's essentially what they do. Um, and they also have a blog um, that provides a lot of information on sustainability and um, you know, eco living, um, and I think they've got some really good writers on there. I'm not just saying that because I'm one of them. There are a lot of better writers on there than I am, um, but it's a really great place um, to get good information about sustainability because you have a lot of qualified people um, talking about literally all topics that you could possibly think about to do with sustainability. Um, and I think it's really good to have places like EcoAge to give um, brands a boost. Um, especially those that are better for our planet because consumerism means that fast fashion brands probably will end up doing better unless we make a stand and decide to shop more eco and I think that's what we need to do and and having places like EcoAge means that they have that little extra PR boost so that we can all start shopping. And do you feel like you have a top three say sustainability accounts or brands who you really feel are paving the way or that you particularly admire? I don't think I could narrow it down to three. I follow so many different ones. I've actually got a couple of blog posts on like my favorite sustainability accounts. Um, But off the top of my head, um, Tori Choi is really amazing. Um, Azure Barber does a lot of uh, sustainable fashion, sustainably vegan, um, Amy Lucas. She does a lot of stuff on zero waste um, lifestyle, including a lot of recipes, which I love. Venetia Lamana um, does loads on sustainable fashion again mrs press um who is claire press she is a sustainability editor of vogue i think um she has a great podcast called wardrobe crisis and again she works in the fashion industry um and then i just recommend kind of trawling through eco age and places like goodonyou.eco and they've got loads of amazing advice on um, sustainable brands how to live more sustainably loads of um, just interesting information and stuff that's in the news and all that kind of stuff so as we draw this lovely interview to a close we'd love to know what your next big fitness challenge is flora well funny you should ask that i have got a 50 kilometer race on sunday and i'm absolutely terrified (laughs) i this okay so 
it sounds it sounds really impressive I actually don't know if I'm going to get around it and I'm not putting any pressure on myself to do so because it is by far the longest I've ever run um I did Tokyo Marathon in March last year and I've definitely not maintained my fitness from that um I signed up for it because I know that a lot of friends are doing it and because all of my races this year were obviously cancelled I had five different races planned including an ultra marathon so I just thought well I didn't do any of the other races so I might as well just do the ultra marathon without any <laughs> and um see how it goes so that you are plan. so brave um it will be absolutely beautiful and quite frankly I'm, I'm really only going to have a bit of a break and I think we need to push ourselves outside our comfort zone so I'm not putting any pressure on myself to get around it but I know that it'll be beautiful and I know that I'm gonna love it so I'm really excited yeah worst case and scenario just, you just go for the views exactly <laughs> And Flora, what keeps you motivated? What are your what is your continuous source of inspiration to do all these amazing I challenges kind of get that you set yourself? From everywhere, um, really. Like my dad's a really good cyclist, so he does all these crazy challenges. I mean, the last two days he's done two rides over a hundred kilometers, hundred miles, even a lo- long way. Um, and if he loves something, he'll just find a way of making it happen. So I think that's something I'm quite tame when it comes to booking stuff you know, I'll decide really last minute whether I want to do it. And he doesn't do that. He just sort of says yes and then figures out how he's going to do it later. And I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, My followers as well. um, I think we've got a great inspiration loop. You know, it's been amazing seeing them watch my YouTube videos and then go for their own runs and stuff and share them with me. Um, And that then in turn inspires me to get out and actually do things, especially, you know, people doing their first 5K. They've never done a 5K without stopping before. They do their first ever half marathon and they actually enjoy it. My favorite ones are the people who actually used to hate running and have found a way to enjoy it. That's what inspires me the most. And um, I always get out and run after that. And, um, you know, in general, I try to only follow people who actually inspire me or teach me something or, you know, make me laugh or whatever it is. And there are loads of athletes that I follow as well who just inspire me every time they post. And I can't imagine doing anything that they're doing, but just seeing it on my feed makes me pretty inspired. And then I would say probably my boyfriend as well. Um, He's kind of the rock on from which I kind of do everything that I do. Yeah, so he always reminds me to kind of do what I love and then we figure out logistics afterwards. Um, and yeah, we've been together for five years and in that time we've done some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, I'd say he's pretty inspiring. And Flora, we ask all our guests where they go when they are stuck for ideas. For me, it has to be Dorset. Um, it's where my boyfriend lives and my greatest ideas definitely always come when I'm in nature on a walk or on a run. Um, it's my happy place for sure. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Flora. It's been an Thanks absolute treat me. to have you. Happiness hit like a train on a track. Coming towards her, stuck still, no turning Yeah. Wow.
thank you for joining us on this podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so other creatives can find us when they're stuck for ideas.